Again, Pastor Jeremy just introduced me. My name is Trevor Hyman. I'm the student pastor and the volunteers pastor here at Mount Perry North Canton. I don't get to do this very often. I'm on the stage just about every week hosting, welcoming people, giving announcements, things like that. But I'm always excited when I get the chance to speak. I graduated high school in 2009 from a small Christian school in Woodstock called Shiloh Hills Christian School. And when I was there, our senior year, it was, it was really cool being a part of a small Christian school. We got to take an unbelievable senior trip. My senior year, we went and spent a week in Colorado at a dude ranch to celebrate graduation of high school. It was unbelievable. But leading up to that moment, we did a lot of fundraisers and things like that to help us offset some of the funds, things like that. We did things like box mazes. We did things where we sold things in the community. But one of the fundraisers that we did was right around Thanksgiving time. We did a family feast for all of the kids at the school. They could bring their parents, they could bring their grandparents, and everybody had to pay and all of the proceeds went to us. Now with it being a school that was all the way from kindergarten through 12th grade, we were expecting to feed around 400 people that day. And so we spent a lot of time, we'd go to Cracker Barrel, and Cracker Barrel gave us a bunch of cornbread dressing, which was unbelievable, and O'Charlie's gave us a bunch of rolls, which is even more unbelievable. Kroger gave us a discount on turkeys, and so then everybody took a bunch of turkeys home and cooked it, and somehow I got signed up to make all of the gravy. I don't know how that happened, but I walked in and they said, Trevor, we need gravy for about 400 people. Well, I was a senior in high school, and I had never done anything on Thanksgiving Day or Christmas but to sit on the, te- on the couch and watch football or basketball or something like that. So I was clueless when it came to making gravy. My mom taught me how to do it real quick at the house so that when I went back to school the next day, I could act and pretend like I knew what I was doing. And I went into the cafeteria's kitchen, and I had all of this juice that was left over from the gravy in Ziploc bags. And I set out to make gravy, and lots of it. I ended up making between 10 to 12 gallons of gravy that day. And I thought that I was so worried that night that I wouldn't have enough. And I put it on a bunch of crock pots. And the next day when I got to school that morning before the feast started around lunchtime, I plugged in all the crock pots around the cafeteria. And it looked ridiculous because it was just a wall lined with about 15 crock pots. And so I got done and the meal started. And the meal started, and I'm serving the gravy, and I was really worried at the beginning of the line that I wasn't going to have enough gravy. So when the little kids came, they got like that much gravy. And then when the middle schoolers came, they got more gravy because I was like, I've got a lot of gravy left over. And then by the high schoolers, I was giving them a bowl of gravy to go (laughs) along with their lunch because I had so much left over. The meal finished, and I roughly had about seven gallons of gravy left over. We had only used about three, and I had no idea what to do with that gravy. Now, you say, what in the world does that have to do with anything? And it probably has nothing to do with anything. But when I look back on the story of when Jesus fed the 5,000, and I think to myself, what would it have been like to have been at a place where a large group of people eat, and there's lots of leftovers afterwards? I kind of think back to that memory when I was in high school. That I was sitting there and I was worried that we weren't going to have enough. And when we finally got done, I had more gravy than can feed the U.S. Army in its entirety, I felt like. (laughs) Today, we're going to look at the chapter of the Bible called John 6. And in John 6, there are some really cool stories that take place. The first story in John chapter 6 is Jesus feeding the 5,000. 
The story goes like this. Jesus is out, and I kind of picture it being a large open field. And Jesus is sitting there with his disciples. And in the story, Jesus is sitting there, and one of the disciples come up and said, Jesus, the people are getting hungry. We need to come up with a plan to feed the people. And about that time, this little boy walks by, and he's got five loaves of bread and two small fish. And Jesus looks, and he says, bring the loaves of fish and bring the boy over here, and let me have the loaves of fish and let me have the bread. And the scripture, again, says 5,000 people. And even more specific than that, it says there were 5,000 men, which doesn't include the women and children that were there, so probably more than 10,000 people. And if you've ever seen a loaf of fish, or a loaf of fish, a loaf of bread, and two small fish, fish, those loaves of fish, they're weird looking. (laughs) If you've ever seen those... I'd be amazed. I gotta write that down. Loaves of fish. Google it. It's awesome. (laughs) If you've ever seen those, you don't think that that's going to feed roughly 10,000 people. Scripture goes on to tell us in the story that Jesus prayed over this and blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the people. And it says that everybody ate and everybody was full. And then they had leftovers to fill 12 baskets. Unbelievable. That's cool, Jesus. That's awesome, Jesus. The very next story is the disciples go and they get in a boat and they go out into the middle of the sea. And it says in the middle of the night, they see something coming towards them on the water. And if if you've ever been out in a boat in the night and it's dark, you're probably going to be a little scared if you see something coming towards you. But they look up, and as it gets closer, they realize it's Jesus, and he's literally walking on the top of the water. Now, we kind of think of this story, and if you've grown up in church, you've heard it a lot. But think about how cool that really is. We just kind of think of it, and yeah, yeah, it's Jesus, though. But think about how awesome that truly is. Jesus does two unbelievable things, and for us as Christians, it's really easy for us to follow that Jesus. The Jesus that's performing miracles. The Jesus that's out walking on water. And you've ever had, I had a youth pastor that always wore the hat like, Jesus is my homeboy. And I never got it, but it's cool Jesus. Those are the, peop, those are the stories in the Bible that it's easy for us to follow Jesus. But this isn't the Jesus that we always get to follow. The miraculous Jesus is, while he's awesome, There's also a part of Jesus and a part of our Christianity that's not so easy to follow. Sometimes Jesus isn't the easiest to follow. Yeah, I mean, and Jesus even realized this. You know, Jesus, obviously he's feeding 5,000 and then he's walking on the water, but Jesus understood, here we go again. Jesus understood that there was something about this idea of following after him that would not always be easy. And so we find in verse 25 of John 6, which Trevor's kind of walked us through the first part. This is what it says in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Now what Jesus is saying here, the, the, the disciples show up and they say, hey, how did you get here? When did you, when did you get here, Jesus? We were looking for you. You were walking on the water and then you disappeared again. So like, how did you get to where we're now finding you? And Jesus says, listen, don't act like you're really trying to find me. You're just hungry again. He's saying, it's not like you really were coming to look for me because you wanted to hang out with me. You showed up because you, your, your belly started to grumble and you were thinking, hmm, when was the last meal we had? Oh, wait, that's right. It was when Jesus miraculously fed us with a little boy's sack lunch. And so I think now you're probably showing up because now you want me to make some food for you again. And he says, listen, you're not looking for me because you saw the signs. You're, you're looking because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. And maybe now you want your fill again. Now you want some more 
food. But here's what we have to realize about what Trevor's talking about with cool Jesus in the first part of John 6. Following Jesus in the first part of John chapter 6 didn't cost those people a thing. I mean, other than the little boy who had to give up his lunch, but he still got to eat because he's still in the crowd there. Other than that guy, that little boy, there was nobody that had to pay anything for the lunch that they received, right? That would be awesome. You ever been in a restaurant? You ever sat down? You, you've ordered your food, you ate, and you're waiting on the bill to come, and somebody comes up and says, well, your bill has been taken care of. And you'd be like, man, I would have ordered the filet if I knew that. Like, <laughs> because somebody else paid the bill, and it didn't cost you anything to eat, that's, that's easy to live. Like if you knew every meal was going to be taken care of, like if you knew every meal was going to be paid for, like to our seniors, I would say to you, and maybe you have jobs and maybe you pay for some of your meals, but just get ready because life's about to get a little more difficult. Because like you're, you're like I was and you're like my kids. You just go to your pantry, you go to your fridge, and there's just food in there. When you get to school, when you get to college, if you move away from home, if you have a fridge in your dorm or your apartment, you walk up to it and open it, unless you have put something in it, there will not be anything there. Like, I know that we think that the fridge is magical, right? We just open it and, whoo, the light comes on and food appears. No, someone paid for that food. Hello, can I get an amen from a parent in the room, right? Come on. Thank you. Come on now. But this is cool Jesus. This is easy Jesus to follow because they're just following after Jesus and they show up on the hillside and Jesus starts teaching and the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, we need to send these people away because they're hungry. And he's like, hey, what do you have to feed them, right? What, what, you feed them. You do something about it. This is cool Jesus. 5,000 men and a bunch of women and children, they got to eat and it didn't cost them anything. But people follow Jesus for different reasons, I don't know at different phases, different stages of your life. If you're here this morning, I'm not sure like how you view Jesus, where you're at in that following Jesus kind of uh, continuum. Maybe you're still trying to check him out. You're still searching. You're still trying to figure this thing out. You're just here because someone invited you or church was something you kind of did growing up. And so you still do that a little bit out of rhythm and routine. And so you're not really sure what it means to even follow Jesus. People follow Jesus for a lot of different reasons, Right? Some people follow Jesus because he's like the prayer answerer. And we pray a prayer and he answers that prayer. He, some people follow Jesus because he's like the miracle worker. We need a miracle. And so we pray before we take a test. We pray before we go to the doctor. We pray before we walk into court to see if the judge will let us off from our speeding ticket, hypothetically. We pray. <laughs> You've prayed those prayers. A friend of mine has, yes, <laughs> with, with the same name and driving record. But we pray... We pray and ask God to do these miracles on our behalf. And maybe we just say, hey, he's just a good teacher. Like when I read the Bible, there's some good things in there. And so I just kind of read some of the stuff that makes sense to me. And I read it. And Jesus knew. He says, listen, you're not looking for me because you, you saw the signs. You're not looking for me because of something more difficult. You're just looking for me because it was easy to follow after me. And Jesus understood that that was the reason that these guys were showing back up. And more and more of the disciples, the crowd was growing and things were happening. And Jesus continued. I think then Jesus maybe flips the switch a little bit and Jesus begins to make it a little more difficult. So Jesus continues to talk here and he, he says some things. This is not on the screen. He starts talking about being the bread of life. Now, remember, he just fed them bread. And he starts talking to them about the bread of life. This is different than the bread that they ate. 
And he starts talking to them about the difference in the bread that they ate and the bread of life and how he fits into that. And this is what he says in verse 41. This won't be on the screen. At this time, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And this is on the screen, so look at this. They said, the Jews who were just ticked off about what he's saying, says, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Let me just say to you this morning, if you have questions about who Jesus is, welcome to the club. <laughs> there have been people questioning Jesus' identity, Jesus' claims, Jesus' purpose on earth since literally before he was born. When Mary and Joseph found out that they were pregnant and they were going to have a child, there were, there were some questions that began. People in that town trying to figure out how Mary got pregnant and figuring out if this is Joseph's baby and what happened here. And it was just all kinds of scandal. And then Jesus is born and people come looking for him and some people want to kill him and some people want to worship him. And then in his life, they're trying to figure out when he's 12, when he shows up in the temple, how this guy knows so much at such a young age to confound those that are the religious teachers. And he begins to do miracles and he begins to do teaching and people are questioning. And right here we have these Jews. They said, how can he say he's the bread that came from heaven? We know his mama. We, Joseph is his dad. He didn't show up from heaven. He was born just like the rest of us. How in the world is he claiming to be any kind of bread from heaven? He begins to make it a little more difficult because people have always wrestled with who Jesus was. Welcome to the club if you have ever questioned who Jesus is or what Jesus is about. But here's, I think, the central factor that, that makes a difference in that questioning. What is your motivation for questioning? What is it that you are trying to determine? If you are just asking these questions because you really do want to understand, then I think Jesus honors those questions. I think he wants you to ask questions because none of us know who he is unless we ask. None of us. The scripture tells us that no one can come to him except those that are drawn to him. He's calling us. He's compelling us. He's pulling us to himself. And so questions are fine. It's really about what is your motivation. But it's not, so, it's not all so easy to understand. Let's continue reading here in verse 53. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. This is not cool, Jesus. <laughs> like if I were to stand up today and say, the only way you can get to heaven is if you just take off a little piece of my skin and eat it. <laughs> there would be a mad rush to the parking lot. I get that. If, if I said to you, listen, unless you eat flesh and you drink blood, you, you can't inherit eternal life. Like, that's gross, right? Some of you just lost your appetite. I didn't. I never do. But I mean, I'm like, I mean, that's weird, but I'm still hungry. I mean, you know. But I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like, this is not cool, Jesus. This is weird, Jesus. Like, this is confusing, Jesus. This is the guy here in John 6 who is not walking on the water. He is not feeding them bread and fish. He is saying, if you want to inherit eternal life, you have to understand that I am the bread of life, and I came down from heaven. I know you know my mom, I know you know my dad, but you don't know that my father in heaven was the one who sent me. And so for you to fully grasp all that I am and for you to really take in everything that's required, then you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you do, you will inherit eternal life. 
this is weird, confusing, kind of crazy Jesus. A few days ago, my wife, Corey, and I, we, we were redoing some stuff in our backyard, and it, it, we can't really grow grass because my boys play on our grass in our yard, and I tried to plant sod last year, and that didn't work, and it's just like a, it's pretty much just the sand lot now where they play baseball, and my HOA keeps sending me these things about I got to grow grass, and I'm like, hey, you know, okay, I got to do something, and so what I decided to do was put wood chips down. So... <laughs> I decided that instead of paying for wood chips in this portion of my yard, I was just going to try to find someone who had cut a tree down and see if I could take their wood chips for free. And so I'm driving out of my neighborhood the other day, and there's a truck there, and it's this tree service, and they have cut down a tree in someone's backyard in my neighborhood. And so we pull over, I roll the window down, I said, hey, what are you doing with the wood chips? And the guy says, well, yeah, we give them away for free all the time. So if you didn't know that, just be looking for tree services, driving around the community. (laughs) He says, hey, we give these away for free. Do you live here in the neighborhood? And I was like, yeah, I live right down the street. He said, well, let me go ask my boss. Well, his boss walks over to my car, and he is by far one of the most interesting people I've ever met in my entire life. (laughs) Immediately when he walks up to the car, I mean, he's not even to the window, he says, you a preacher? (laughs) Okay, let me just say, usually I don't want to answer that question as yes, okay? I'm like, no, I'm a motivational speaker one day. A week. But so he says, it's, it's trapping to say that I'm a preacher in a lot of conversations. But I just said, yeah, have you visited our church? How do you know? And he said, yeah, you preach down at the snake handling church, don't you? I'm like, roll the window up, Corey. Roll the window up. And I said, no. He said, well, what's your name? And I thought I was being punked. I thought one of you had a friend. Somebody works on that tree service team. I mean, I'm looking around I'm like, somebody in our church. I was so confused. I said, no. He said, what's your name? I told him. He said, what church do you preach at? And I told him. He goes, oh, well, you look like somebody else. I was like, awesome. Can I have the wood chips in the back of your truck? So he's like, yeah. He was like, where do you live? I was like, "Just, just down the street. He was like, all right. And he hops in my car. I promise you, this stuff only happens to me. He gets in my car, and we turn around, and we drive down the street, and his truck and his team follow us. And I wanted to go to the wrong house because I didn't want him to know where I lived. So we pull up, and his truck pulls into my side yard, which is just not going to help us grow more grass there. And so they back into the yard, and I showed him kind of where I wanted it so that I could move it later into the exact spots I want it. And they back this truck up, and I'm thinking I'm going to get, like, a little bit of mulch. (laughs) They dropped a mound bigger than my car. (laughs) Like, it's, to scale, it's about as much gravy as he had left over for his dinner. (laughs) I'm not kidding when I tell you, I stood next to it and it was taller than me and rounder than me. And I was like, awesome. So he said, hey, you're a preacher. I was like, yes, sir. He said, I want to ask you a question and see if I can stump you. I was like, this is going to end badly. So he begins to ask me questions about the Bible that, I mean, I gave him some answers, but I don't think it was what he was looking for. And sometime when I'm not standing on stage being recorded, I can tell you some of the questions that he asked me, but I won't do it in this setting. And so I answered some of those questions, and then here is what he said. He said, well, you know, those are just some thoughts I had. He was like, but you know, the Bible's dangerous. That's what he said. The Bible's dangerous. He said, if you just read it at face value, you're fine. 
But if you go digging, sometimes you get some stuff that makes you uncomfortable. That's good. And I thought, wow, okay. I'm going to preach that one day. <laughs> this conversation was completely worth it. And then he turns around and he walks off and he says, enjoy your mulch, and leaves. And over the last few weeks, I've been thinking about what he said. The Bible is dangerous. Because you come to passages like this where Jesus says, listen, if you want to inherit eternal life, you've got to eat flesh and you've got to drink blood. Now, we know what Jesus was actually talking about if we continue to read this story. We go to the communion table and we see that he breaks bread and he takes juice and he says, this bread represents my body. It represents my flesh. And he says, this cup represents my blood. As often as you eat it and drink it, do so in remembrance of me. And he's talking about the cross. But even understanding that, we have to understand that not everybody's going to accept all that Jesus says. Look at this in verse 60, and then we'll jump ahead to 66. He says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Verse 66 says this, and from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus looked at the 12 and said this in verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? The title of today's message is, Do You Want to Leave Too? Jesus has fed 5,000 men and women and children. He has walked on water. And then he begins teaching some more difficult things. He goes from cool Jesus to a little more difficult to understand Jesus. To I've got to wrestle with this a little bit, Jesus. And people are like, no, this is, this is not what I signed up for. I'm out. And just as quickly as they gathered, they began to disperse. And I don't know how many were left when Jesus asked the question, but he looked at the 12, those disciples that he had called, that he had been doing life with, and he said, you want to leave too? Because the group of people that were there showed up when the cost was really low to follow Jesus. But they left when they realized that the cost was actually a little higher than that. Yeah. Today, we're celebrating the graduation of these seniors. They're going to walk in two, three, four weeks from now across a stage. And they're going to go this summer, and then August is going to come, and they're going to go, some of them away to school and move into a dorm and meet a, meet a roommate. Some of them are going to go in their part-time jobs that they may have now. They're going to ask their boss for more hours, and they're going to get more flexibility, and they're going to maybe start working sometimes on Sunday mornings. We had seven students come and stand down here to say, hey, I'm graduating. I'm a part of this church. The latest statistic that I found is that 59% of students that grow up in the church walk away from their faith after graduation. 59%. So if we had seven students, that's roughly three plus some change. If our students are part of that number. For me, as a student pastor, that absolutely breaks my heart. That there are students around this world, around this country, that have that moment of saying, it's my first day on my own, it's my first Sunday on my own, do I go to church or not? I think I'll choose to sleep in. See, growing up, I grew up in a Christian home with Christian parents that even if I had the flu, I think I was at church. You just, I didn't miss. 
Wednesday nights, didn't matter if you had homework or not, going to church, Sunday mornings, going to church. And I grew up in that mindset. I grew up with every meal at the dinner table we prayed. I grew up with my parents having a Bible on their nightstands when I went into their room, a Bible on the coffee table in the family room, scripture verse hanging in the bathroom. I mean, I grew up around it and around the culture of it. And I think for many of the people in this room that grew up in the Bible Belt, the southeastern United States, it's probably the same. Maybe not your house, maybe your aunt's house, maybe your grandmother's house. But we grow up in this culture of being completely surrounded by Christianity. There's a scripture in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, that says, You believe that there is one God. I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. This is a verse that if you're one of those seniors that we, that we celebrated today, that this is going to become something that's very difficult for you. As you've grown up in this house where your parents have brought you to church, you can kind of get the mindset sometimes of it's a family cross or it's a church cross. That I don't have my own individual cross. It's my student life group's cross. Not even for these seniors that are graduating. Even if you sitting in this room. It's my church's cross. It's my life group's cross. It's my family's cross. It's my spouse's cross. But the scripture tells us that each and every one of us as individuals in our own body. We have our own cross that we have to pick up and carry daily. And as you are making this transition over the course of this summer, seniors, that is, that is going to be a very difficult thing for you to understand. That I can no longer rest on the faith that my parents had. I can no longer count on my church necessarily to be there for me. That you've got to figure out on your own, what does your faith look like? There's a difference between living for and believing in Jesus. Scripture again, James 2, 19. It says, You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Again, there's a difference between believing in Jesus and saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. You go to anybody in any grocery store, you go to anybody in any Chick-fil-A and you more than likely ask them, hey, do you believe in Jesus? They're going to say yes. But there's a difference between just saying, yeah, I know that there is a God, and saying, yeah, he is my God, that I choose to live for him. Going back to John 6, it's easy to live for the first two stories. It's easy to live for the God. It's easy to live for the Jesus that is in John 6 when he's feeding 5,000 people. It's easy to live for and believe in the God that's walking on water. It's not as easy to believe in and live for the God that says, take of my flesh, drink of my blood, do the difficult things for me. That's when it comes to who follows Him or not. When push comes to shove, that's when we really see who's committed and who's not committed. Let's look and see how this story ends. Jesus has just said to the 12, are you going to leave too? And this is what Simon Peter answers. Simon Peter's always the guy that answers. I love it. <clears throat> but he asks a question of Jesus and he says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. He says, Lord, where are we going to go? I mean, Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? And he says, to go where? Like, if we left you, where would we go? We gave up everything to follow you. I'm in the midst of wedding season. If you're friends with me on Facebook or you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you know that this is a season where, man, I am doing a bunch of weddings. Last night was the second weekend in a row, second Saturday in a row, and I have two more Saturdays in a row, which involves Friday night rehearsals and Saturday weddings, and I'm not complaining. I love weddings, but I'm in the midst of that, and one of the reasons that I love weddings, beyond the fact that I just, I love to remember our wedding, and I love to just think about, I'm kind of a hopeless romantic, and I don't shy away from that. I mean, I like romantic comedies. I cry at the drop of a hat. It's okay. It happens to me, and I'm not afraid of that, but I love weddings, man, and I love them for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons that I love it is I love to watch a couple stand together in front of friends and family and say a, a, a few words toward one another in these vows that they believe with all of their heart in that moment and so desperately want to keep, but they really, and those that are married or have been married know that they have no clue what they're saying, <laughs> right? For better or for worse, okay, give it three days and then come talk to me. For richer, for poorer, okay, when you're eating ramen in a week and all your gift cards have been used up that you got for your wedding, come talk to me. Right, Because what we say is what we, we want to believe. It's what we want to live. And I'm not saying that they don't mean it. I, I, I know that they do. I mean, I've, I watch them. I'm standing close as they say these words to one another. And really what they're saying is I'm trying to come up with the words and commitment to really add value to the emotion that I feel towards you in this moment. And so they make these vows. I heard someone say when I was single and I was growing up, I don't remember what age I was, but I heard someone say this phrase, and you've heard it, I'm sure, and it says, don't marry someone you can live with. Marry someone you can't live without. And I I, I couldn't agree with that more wholeheartedly because there's a lot of people you could probably live with. I mean, there's a lot of people you could, like, share a house with and, like, share half the fridge and half the pantry and split the bills and... Like there's, there's probably a, a number of people that you could do that with. But I would say that number is probably a, a much smaller number of people that you just, you just, when you imagine it, when you think about it, when you dream about it, when you hope for it, you're, you're looking for that person or those, you know, those people in your life that it doesn't even have to be in a marriage, but maybe in the, in the, the deep, personal, like intimate type of friendships that you just, you can't live without those people. It's almost like they give oxygen to you. You can't hardly imagine breathing without them being close. And I mean, some days it's still hard. I mean, there, for as many better days as there are, there's some worser days, right? For as many richer days as there are, there, there's some poorer days. For as many health days as there are, there's some sickness days. But these couples, they stand together. And they say, I promise to love you. I'm committed to you. They're declaring to the best of their ability to say, it's not just that I could live with you. It's that I can't imagine life without you. I can say that's true for me. I hope that's true for all the people in this room that are married. 
and those that are pursuing marriage. I hope that's the kind of relationship you're pursuing if you're single in this room. Not just somebody that can be a companion for you. Not somebody that can just go to the movies with you on Friday night or sit with you at dinner so you're not sitting by yourself. But you are pursuing someone who, who it's not Jerry Maguire here. We're not looking for somebody to complete you because you will be sorely disappointed. <laughs> but we are looking for someone that we can't imagine creating the future without them. That's what we're pursuing. That's what we're dreaming. That's what we're hoping. When we lay in our bed at night, we're not just looking for companionship. We are looking for a covenant partner, someone to do life with and dream new dreams and hope new things. I I kind of think here, that's almost what Peter is answering Jesus back with. He says, listen, this is not a marriage thing. This is like a deep covenant friendship, mentorship, relationship, discipleship, followership thing. You, you called me away from everything that I ever was. I was a fisherman in a boat, and you told me to drop my nets and leave everything and come and follow you, and I did. And we were having a conversation. We were talking about going and telling our mother and father goodbye. And you said, no, leave your father and mother and come and follow me. You don't have a mother and father. Like we literally left everything for you, Jesus. And you're asking me if we're going to leave? If we left, where would we go? I think Jesus may be asking the question of all of us today. If I'm not cool Jesus all the time, like if I'm hard Jesus to follow sometimes, if I'm a little difficult teaching Jesus, if I'm the parts of Scripture that confuse you and confound you, if I'm the parts of Scripture that leave you with more questions than answers, if I'm the parts of Scripture that challenge you and call you to something higher and something greater, if I'm the parts of Jesus and parts of Scripture, if I'm the part of God that is calling you out of the lifestyle that you used to be and saying, abandon everything and come and follow me, do you want to leave too? Let me put it another way, hypothetically, just to try to bring this into the proper context before we pray. If tomorrow you found out that everything you'd ever thought about Christianity was false. I'm not talking about like you questioned it and maybe there was reason for doubt. Like you found out legitimately that it was, it was false, it was untrue. Something happened and they found out that the Bible was not true and it was all a hoax, that Christianity and the church were false and you didn't have to do that anymore and Anything that you'd ever invested in the church was just wasted. Anything you'd invested in God was wasted. Hypothetically, if, that, if that's what you found out, and so everything that was Jesus and everything that was God and everything that was faith and everything that was Christian, if you found out tomorrow that it was all fake, how would your life change in any way? Good. Here's what I mean by that. As you follow Jesus, do you just follow him to the level that it costs you nothing? Do you just follow him to the level that you get your bellies full when he's taking bread and fish and feeding us? Do you just follow him to the level that he's answering your prayers when you are taking a test or walking into the doctor or walking into court? 
Do you, do you just follow Jesus when he's doing the miraculous and walking? Like, do you just follow cool Jesus when it costs you nothing? Or is your life so completely wrapped up in who he is, so irreversibly founded and grounded and centered on his words and his life and his model and the example of who he was and his teachings and his call to us. That if I came to you and tried to pull Jesus away, what would be left of you? Some of you that have experienced divorce know that that bonding that happens when you get married and you say those vows and you begin to build a life and you begin to work through the future and dream new dreams and hope new hopes and you know that if you walk through divorce trying to pull the two that have become one apart is messy. And you know that it's never as clean as when you got in and there's shared things and there's joint things and there's overlapping things and mixed things and some of you have walked that road and you know that when you find yourself alone after all that has been done and you stand over here by yourself you're sometimes not sure what's left of you because you don't know how much of your identity was you and how much of it was us In your relationship with Jesus, if we even tried to pull Jesus away from you, what would be left? If, if you can't answer like Peter, if you can't say like Peter, leave, where would we go? Then it may be a moment for you to reflect if we've just been following cool Jesus. If we've just been following the Jesus where the cost is really low and the commitment level's really low and the requirements are really low and if given the choice, we could walk away and nothing would change. I encourage all of our seniors today and all of our students today to, to hear these words. The reason that the statistics are what they are is because so few students make the cross a personal cross. They're content to let the cross be their family cross. The faith of their mom and dad is enough to get them through middle school and high school. But guess what? Whether you live at home or you move away, whether you go to college or you join the workforce, it becomes a life that requires you to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Or someone will come along with more convincing evidence than you are equipped to combat and then you don't know what you believe and now you're confused and now... I don't ever feel like it's my job, nor does Pastor Trevor, I know, to convince you of anything. Because if we can convince you, someone else can unconvince you. Yep. It's just our job to take God's word and lift it up and say, this is who he said he was. And this is what he's calling you to. And this is what he's saying to you. Now what say 
you. That's what God's calling us to. To the parents in the room, if you've got kids still living in your home, help them to personalize the cross. Personalize their faith. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe this is about you. Personalize the cross so that if Jesus ever comes to that moment where he says to you, do you want to leave too? You can say, where would I go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed that you are the one true living God. I want us to pray. And I want us to pray today a personal prayer. I want you in your heart just to say, God, help me to make it personal. Help me not to just get caught up in the miraculous Jesus and the cool Jesus and the low cost Jesus. Help me to buy into everything. And where I have questions about who you are, I'm a part of a pretty cool club because a lot of people have been questioning, but let my motives be pure in pursuing truth and finding answers. And where I don't understand your teachings and where I don't understand your word, help me just to search for answers so that I can apply truth to my life. And let me make you my God, my Savior. So that if they ever tried to pull us apart, there would be nothing left of me that doesn't reflect you. Let's pray. God, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for the parts that are really cool, Jesus, and I thank you for the parts that are difficult, Jesus. I thank you, God, for the moments that are powerful, emotion-filled moments where we just love to experience them and sing about your goodness. And I thank you for the parts where we're walking through tragedy as we prayed earlier and we're wrestling with what it is that's happening and why it's happening and I pray today, God, that you would help us to grab a hold, wrap our arms around all that you are, all that you're calling us to. God, as you call us today, as you question us today and say, do you want to leave too? The statistics are what they are. People are walking away from the church and students are walking away from the church. You're asking our seniors today, do you want to leave too? God, let them say, where would I go? You hold the power of life for me. God, help them today to walk boldly into their future. I pray for every one of us today, from the youngest to the oldest, from those that have been walking with you a while to those who are still figuring this thing out. God, let us read and search for truth. Let us, God, experience you in powerful ways. Let us question with pure motives to understand who you are and what it is you're calling us to. And God, let our lives never be the same as we become so much of a reflection of who you are that we can never be torn apart. With every head bowed and every eye closed today and no one looking around, just before we close, if you would say to me today, Jeremy, I don't know that I've ever made it a personal cross. I don't know that I've ever made it a personal relationship. I don't know that I've ever truly had a deep personal relationship with Jesus Christ that was all my own. And today I acknowledge that I need Christ in my life as the Lord and Savior. I don't just need to know about him. I need to know him deeply. 
I need him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. If nobody's looking around, you just want to lift your hand. We want to pray for you. You can lift your hand right now. Anybody else? Anybody else? God, I pray right now that you would capture the hearts of everyone in this room that needs to acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. And that, God, you would forgive their sins, that you would become the Lord of their life, and that, God, you would help them to live in accordance with your word. Guard them and guide them, I pray. In Jesus' name, I pray today. Amen.